welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction Today's podcast concerns the module called Talc Skills for Effective Information Gathering. We're going to be discussing the chapter, which is called What Difference Do Patients' Thoughts, Concerns and Hopes Really Make? And we're going to look at it from the point of view of a GP in training who's learning how to develop their consultation skills. The skill set we're thinking about here is really trying to pay attention to the patient's own perspective about their situation or their illness. How do they see things? What worries them the most? And what are they hoping will happen as a result of consulting with the clinician? Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jonathan Squibbs. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, everyone. Could you tell me a little bit about where you're up to with your training? Yeah, of course. So uh, I'm Dr. Jonathan Squibbs. I'm a final year GP trainee based in South Manchester. Okay, thank you. So what I know is that the skills of eliciting the patient's ideas, concerns and expectations are widely recognised as being necessary, particularly for examinations. And it's somehow particularly seen as something to do in consultations in primary care. But I also hear people using the term ICE. It's like a cliched expression of something that's done to the patient, usually by GPs, not by other clinicians. And people say things like, well, I iced the patient, but I didn't get anywhere. Now, I'm not keen on the idea that the patient is like a passive cake here being iced. So I think we have to sort of explore a little bit about what this thing about exploring the patient's perspective and the ideas and concerns and expectations is all about. So, Jonathan, do you think there's a tendency to see exploring ideas, concerns and expectations as a bit of a tick box exercise? Yeah, I do, actually. I think that comes from a a number of of sources. Um, mainly sort of when you're learning about it and sort of medical school going through and exams you often see it as you know you've got to ice the patient like you said you've got to tick that box of saying well I asked about their ideas I asked about their concerns and their expectations and I think as well I think it's something you don't often see everybody doing in possibly other specialties as well certainly when you're training and and there if you don't kind of reinforce the, the importance of it by seeing it throughout sort of training and, and in other areas as well um, and what as well I think is possibly not something that's fully explored um, throughout training or particularly earlier on is, is what to do with this as well. I think often you might find out or ask them about their ideas, but they might just say, well, I haven't got any or I don't know. Or And, and, and if you ask them in quite a closed way, so saying, you know, are you worried or, or have you any ideas, you know, and they can say no or yes, then you're not really fully explored that with them or you know, if you do identify something, what do you do with that then? So, yeah, I do think that actually sometimes it can be seen as just quite something that you do. And then once you've got that information, you don't need to do anything with it or what to do with it, or even if you, you find it out actually at all. I think all those are really interesting points because um, there's, there's two aspects of this, isn't it? Definitely knowing what to do with it if you find out the patient's perspective, does it matter? Definitely that thing about other specialties to seem less concerned about this. But also this idea that you've picked up that patients often just say no, they, they haven't got any concerns, they have got no ideas, they, they don't know what they're hoping for. Um, and that's quite a, a bit of a brick wall, isn't it? Yeah, I think it can be. Um, and one of the 
things I think that happens and, and causes that is when it's quite a closed question, um, I would say. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that, Avril, about kind of the way that we ask the questions and, and if that makes that brick wall. Well, I think you're, you're right. Um, it, we know generally that closed questions that can be answered with a yes or a no or a single word often just result in that single word. So if you say, you know, if you've got any ideas about what's wrong, it, it's very easy for people to say no, not really. Uh, although the clue is often in the not really, because if people say not really, they mean yes. Um, but that's not the asking the question isn't isn't the thing. What you do have to do is to find out what their ideas actually are, even if they say no, not really. So this is something about the kind of questions that we're using. So this is thinking about a more open kind of questioning and in particular, a, a type of questioning that's called open directed questioning. So that's where it's an open question. You can't answer it with yes or no or a single word, but the the content or the arena of the question is defined a little bit. So rather than saying, you know, what do you want to say, which is very open, you might say, what thoughts have you been having about this situation you're in? Or, or had you had any ideas about, you know, what were your ideas about what was going wrong? Or, or what were your ideas about what was happening to you? And I think I found clinically saying to people, something like what thoughts have you been having or what's been passing through your thoughts um, elicits a lot of because everybody thinks about their illness or their difficulty that they've come to the the clinician about and it's very easy for them to talk about it I, I wonder what you found about this question about asking people do you have any worries what do people tend to say when you say that I find that I get a much better response actually or a more um, rounded uh, and insightful one from the patient I think Worry seems a bit more natural than concerns. Um, hmm. So personally, I found concerns to me seems quite medicalized as well. Whereas sort of worry, well, what's worrying you about this? Uh, patients might often say, well, I'm not really concerned about anything. And then actually, when you talk to them more, actually, they're, they're worried about X or Y or Z. Hmm. Um, and I've found it's kind of much more effective to sort of ask them about you know, what it is that's worrying them or what's in their mind about this, or maybe, you know, nice open statement, like, I've got some thoughts about this, but I'd really like to hear from you first. And mm. that's been, I found a lot more effective and, and gathered a lot more information, which I can then use later on in the consultation with them. I think that's really helpful. I think you've pointed out something really important there, which is that you have to be able to use different approaches, don't you? Because uh, for some people, if you say to them, uh, are you worried about this? They'll say no, because they don't want to be seen as a worrier or as wasting the doctor's time or being somebody who frets about silly things. Whereas other people, and they might respond more to, well, what's been your concern about this problem? Or, or in particular, what's concerned you the most about this problem? Because then you've got the what part of the question, which is open, but also asking somebody to rank their concerns automatically means they have to start thinking about them. But I think you're right. Other people might find that a little bit abstract or something. Whereas if you use that what question structure again and say, you know, what has worried you about this? They're able to articulate what's going on uh, for them as an individual. And I think, of course, you brought up that really important point, which is how you're going to use this information information later and one thing I've noticed a lot is it in English at least I don't know if this applies in other languages but if you say to somebody what are you expecting me to do about this I think that's a very um, unhelpful kind of question because to me it just sounds like you've got your hand on your hips and you're saying well what do you expect me to do about this it's kind of combative it kind of also implies that 
they haven't got the right to expect you to do something about it. Uh, and, and it usually leads to that very blunt statement, something along the lines of, well, you're the doctor or you're the nurse, you know, you make up your own mind. So uh, I think um, there are some other forms of words you might use for that. And, and I would sometimes say, well, what, where were you hoping we'd get to today? What, what did you think we might end up doing today? What were you hoping for from today? I don't know if you've had any success with particular phrases there, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, I would completely agree um, with, with what you've said there, Avril, about that, you know, what we're expecting to do it can be quite confrontational sometimes. And, and, and actually, you know, using the suggestions that you've said about what were you hoping to happen as a result of today? Or again, like, I've got some thoughts about how we should proceed. But what were you what were your thoughts about this? Um, it involves the patient more. Uh, I think it, it shows them it, it negates that. Well, you're the doctor because you've said oh, I, I, I've got some thoughts, but I'm really yeah. interested to hear about you. It shows that you're interested. Mm -hmm. And again, I find that that's much more effective um, and, and gets a lot more information uh, from the patient, which I can use as well, because sometimes it's things that they they suggest that you've not thought of. And actually, it's a really, really valuable suggestion. Sometimes it's things that require follow up as well. So you say, oh, well, why are you why are you thinking that? What's going through your mind there? Where's that link? What have I missed? And that can be really helpful, again, to, to, to kind of explore later on um, in when you're talking about a management plan. I think those suggestions are really useful. And I also like very much like the way that you're, you're really integrating this into a shared management plan because you're saying I've got thoughts, you've got thoughts, we're going to have to somehow discuss this together. And so the, the seeds of a shared management plan are really set during information gathering in a way, aren't they? So, that, so I think that's very powerful. What kind of responses are you getting from patients um, when you use this more open approach? I mean, what, what, what kind of things are you hearing and what kind of things are you doing with that information? So early in my GP training, when I maybe would ask some more closed questions or do it in sort of a like a, an add on type thing rather than integrated. I mean, a couple of examples I can think of from recent practice. I had a patient who had some fresh PR bleeding. It sounded quite innocent, maybe some sort of um, local rectal pathology like piles. Um, but mentioned about a prostate test and I was a bit like well where's this going and and from exploring further that he was expecting a PSA test and wanting to look into this further it turns out a family member had had prostate problems and the the way he, that he'd found them or he'd linked that in his and with some PR bleeding because he'd had both and actually we were able to talk about that we were able to explore his concerns and discuss testing sort of urinary symptoms those kind of things I think another example I, I've had is a young child that came in with a very rash that looked just like eczema really and quite benign and something that you know kind of I think clinicians we can brush off quite easily but the parent was really anxious it was something else and again just asking about well what were you hoping for and they were expecting me to do like temperature and full observations and a, a full top to toe and, and actually discussing it's because another child of theirs had had quite a significant rash and were very unwell with it in the past and they were overly cautious for any rash and that didn't change my management plan but it changed how I explained it and the reassurance I gave so mm -hmm. certainly I think it's really been invaluable to, to to talk with patients to find out what their thoughts were what their hopes were what was worrying them uh, so that I can then tailor a management plan or kind of explanations to that and address those things. I think that's a really interesting example about the skin because uh, one of the things that really exploring the patient's perspective because sometimes do is enable us to sort of almost heal them within the one consultation I'm, I'm thinking about the patient I saw who had repeatedly consulted about some leg pain I think he'd seen about five different people in A&E and a general practitioner and a nurse practitioner all kinds of things uh, about pain in his leg 
But when I asked him what his concerns were about this, he then said, well, he thought it might be gangrene, which I was surprised at because he seemed very fit and well. But actually, it turned out his brother had diabetes and had recently had an amputation for gangrene, which had started with some kind of pain in his leg. And so when I examined him, I didn't just examine him. I said, look, I'm looking for signs of gangrene now. And this is how I would tell if there was gangrene there. And this is what I'm doing with the pulses and so on and so forth. And was able to explain why it wasn't gangrene, which I'm quite sure other people knew it wasn't gangrene. But because people hadn't really explored his own worries, they weren't able to get to grips with that. And he just kept consulting until he got the answer that he needed, which was actually that his leg was normal. And he didn't want to be told it was normal. He wanted to be told it's not gangrene. And I think that that then, actually, if that had happened in the first consultation, I'm fairly sure another four consultations wouldn't have happened. And that would save a lot of time and effort, actually, for a lot of people. So I think, as you implied, the skill is not just in asking the questions or finding out what the patient's perspective is, but really understanding and exploring the answers. So if somebody's worried about cancer, you know, how did they come to be worried about that? I mean, it might be a natural worry and a smoker is coughing up blood. And your response then might be to say, yeah, I've been worried about cancer as well because of these symptoms. Let's think about how we're going to deal with that. Whereas a completely fit 25-year-old who's got cancer you, you might want to say, well, how did you come to think about that? And a bit like your case with the, the skin, it might be because a neighbour's had a, a cancer or because they've had a cancer themselves when they were young or something that you don't necessarily have in the forefront of your mind. And, and that will then help you to make a management plan that really works for that patient. And I, I don't know about you, but I always find this one of the most interesting parts of the consultation, too. It, it always yields something that helps you to bond with the patient, understand the patient, helps you to be creative with your management plan. I, I don't know. Do you find it interesting, too? I do. Yeah, I find it I find it really interesting. I think what I find it works best is those where you're not quite sure and understanding kind of where a patient's reached a conclusion. And actually, that's often where there is something there to, to identify. So like those examples you said of, well, somebody's really young and and is likely to not have anything serious, but are convinced they do have. Well, what's the reason for that? And often it's that light bulb moment, isn't it, of I, I understand you now. And, and I think once you, the patient feels you understand them and, and are listening and, and appreciating what they're saying in their perspective, that just allows a, a much more therapeutic relationship, doesn't it, to form. Uh, and therefore kind of the benefits, like you say, uh, might be less consultation, less anxiety from the patients, more relationship with yourself and wanting to come with maybe other possibly more serious problems and things. So yeah, I think it's certainly got far reaching benefits by just spending that maybe a little bit of time exploring um, the patient's perspective and then using that as well, not just disregarding it. Mm. Okay. So Avril, I mean, what would you say the key thing about sort of clinician's approach should be that would help them to elicit the patient's perspective effectively? Well, I, I think as, as we've been talking about, there are some specific skills about the way you ask the questions. But I think there's also quite a deep need to be really curious about the patient's own perspective and to expect to find it interesting and useful. Because if you find things out which are useful and help the consultation going along, I think there's much more of an incentive to do those things. Uh, and developing those skills in having open directed questions means that you then get these really interesting things that people say. Uh, and I think clinicians do need to be fully interested in the person who has the disease as well as being interested in diseases themselves, if you like. And I think that applies across the board, especially it's true in general practice, but I think it's also true in other specialties as well. And this matters 
partly because you build a more effective relationship with the patient, which means your management plan is more likely to stick. But it also matters the clinical accuracy, doesn't it? Because there's so much clinical information in the patient's um, perspective. And it, it's really crucial for planning effective care. So I, I think it's one of the most enjoyable bits. And certainly I think for me, it, it's meant that a consultation that might be seeming to be quite routine, like a child with a bit of eczema, actually becomes a really interesting problem. You know, how do you help this person with a bit of eczema or their parent with a bit of eczema come to terms with something and manage something effectively? Actually, that's quite a creative thing. So I enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, certainly throughout my training and, and from talking with you today, uh, one thing I'm really seeing is that what's important is what matters to the patient. And that's just as important as knowing what is the matter with the patient and understanding that their perspective it helps just in, in understanding the importance of their symptoms or when planning future care or even just how you explain things, as you've been saying. And, and certainly that's something that I found um, understanding that has been really helpful in my training and my communication and consultation skills um, in getting to those deeper levels and, and really providing more effective care to patients. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for being with me today. And if you want to find more material relative relevant to improving skills in this part of the consultation, see the module Skills for Information Gathering. There is a specific chapter called What Difference Do a Patient's Thoughts, Concerns and Ideas Really Make? Uh, and there are other chapters which will help you to improve your consultation skills in the important area of gathering information from patients. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.